Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. So what you say about it's hard to enjoy the moment, I feel that so much and... I wonder if it's something with ambitious people live in the future more than they live in the present because whenever something happens in the present, I have already mentally moved on to the next thing which exists in the future. And when you only think about future events, it kind of just means you're never mentally present in the present. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I'm really excited like I'm genuinely so excited ignited all the things welcome back to the women in tech podcast oh my gosh you guys I just probably blew out the speakers I cannot wait okay first of all we have a guest co-host with my first time ever co-hosting so Sarah hi, hi. <laughs> you just heard Sarah on the last episode I'm so excited to co-host with you Hi, welcome back to the Women Tech Podcast. Tell everybody really quick who you are. I'm Sarah Mangesha. I'm head of community for Creator Now, and I never left. Esprit's kept me here, and I'm so happy. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, Sarah and I get to interview Liz. Liz, welcome. Coming to us from Venice. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be on a podcast for the first time. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you for being here and for being part. If you tuned into the last episode, you'll have heard our experimental episode. Liz, go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm an engineer and a product designer. I've been working in tech for a few years, and I have now entered into the entrepreneurship scene, and I'm building a bunch of fun little apps as an indie hacker. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to feel this ignited, which is Sarah's word, about doing this interview. And then Liz taught me, again, if you tune into the last episode, she taught me about being energized with change. I'm hyped. Sarah, why don't you kick it off? Yeah. Why don't you start off the conversation? You were talking about your apps and you said that you're an indie hacker. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what that means. I don't know if I've heard that before. Yeah, it's a common name for bootstrap entrepreneurs, I guess. The technical definition is if you don't raise VC funding from institutional, then you're a bootstrapper. Whereas like the obvious other route is to raise tons and tons of money and go the hyper growth route of entrepreneurship. So indie hackers usually are almost always engineers and they have the ability to build their own apps. It's a very different journey because it's more slow burn. You're not spending millions of dollars on like ads and marketing and you're really building for like a tight knit community and connecting with a group of small users. What's your perspective on raising money? I've always admired. Do you, are you familiar with Basecamp, the project management tool? 
Not familiar, but I definitely know them. Okay, so Basecamp was founded by two guys, one of them being Jason Freed. And Jason Freed would always talk about having a self-sustaining business. He would say, like, look, you can't go into a bakery shop and just take all the cupcakes. The bakery shop can't exist. And so I've always thought about business for myself in that way. Why is the default raising money? What's your perspective since you've embraced the world of being an indie hacker? Is it important to you to get to the place to raise money or are you trying to be self-sustaining and yeah what's your philosophy I feel like there's appropriate scenarios to raise money and what's interesting that's happened over maybe the last five years a bit longer ever since you know all these cool sexy companies I call it the uber airbnb class that came out really of like 2008 2010 age it just became really cool to create a billion dollar company and it became the goal for everyone and I think there is a mistake that happened where people started assuming any idea could be worth a billion dollars and then people started using crazy terms like decacorn meaning 10 billion dollars <laughs> and I think the correction that's happening in the market right now really shows that not every idea is worth that much money and it's actually going to create that much value. Mm. And I think that's where VC money, I think, appropriately applied to the correct size idea is great because some ideas, like to send a rocket to the moon, you you need a lot of money. To build, or not not even build, but just to make like the cool new shoes, like Allbirds, were they really worth multiple billions of dollars? I think that's really where I think I draw the line. And what's your vision for your company? What's the trajectory for your app? I've been working on a vision to build a product studio, which I've been calling Slice Studio. Uh, just a fun little name because I like pizza. How <laughs> amazing. Well, that's another part of the conversation. <laughs> What I want to achieve with the product studio is really to build a set of healthily scoped products yeah. where they're not forced and injected almost like having steroids injected into you to just grow at the expense of the healthiness of the company or the product. And when I feel that when products are given that breathing room, then they become profitable and sustainable over a long period of time. And I would just love to build a suite of products that fit that criteria and that people love. And, you know, if a bunch of them start over long term generating revenue, like that would be amazing. How did Todoe come to be? Because mm-hmm. it's such an interesting idea. There's a lot of like, you know, project management or like, yes, like to-do list type things mm-hmm. and sharing with friends. Where did that come from for you? Yeah, the start of Todoe is actually a really funny story. Uh, <laughs> I'm here for it. So I had been freelance consulting, just doing my own consulting business and building a whole bunch of apps and small little products on the side. And that's why I started posting on TikTok because I realized it doesn't matter if I build products if no one's using them. And on my TikTok, I've been posting educational content about tech. It's also like slightly humorous. And I, as a part of what I generally post, I posted these designs that I had made just randomly. And it was a design for Todoe, the social productivity app, a social to-do list. And TikTok went pretty viral, like definitely the biggest video I've ever had. So I had prompted a cheeky little caption into the post where I said, if you like this idea, convince me to build it. And the comments oh, just went stop fail. for real. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing! Cool. Talking about building for an audience. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Finding your market. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 
It was one of those crazy moments where every time I opened the TikTok app, I actually had more comments on that post than likes, which you kind of never see. Wow. Wow. And I mean, after that got big, I was just like, fuck it, I'll build it. I had already had apps that I built previously that I could just very easily repurpose. So I built the MVP for Todoi in one week. (gasps) Wait, in what kind of code? It's in Flutter. So it was available for both iOS and Android from the beginning. And I released the MVP after a week. My TikTok audience was like, what are you on? How did this get out so fast? (laughs) (laughs) And it's only been six weeks since that happened. Wow. Uh, But... I have also grown like a very thriving Discord community around Todoi, which is actually where it's really fun to hang out with a lot of the Gen Z kids that are yeah. just super into this idea. And it's just been super fun and honestly really random. And going back to the venture capital piece, what is your sustainability model? I was actually curious, two questions. What's your sustainability model? And then you were talking about your venture studio is to do the main thing or is building the studio the main thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the studio has been a goal for a lot longer than to do with the viral TikTok six weeks ago. I had honestly never thought I would be building a consumer social product just because over the last 10 years, probably it's been like a really dry season for consumer social apps in the U.S. Like there was Be Real and Clubhouse and then not much else. And so that had kind of created this mental bias against consumer social thinking. It's not a viable business and it's not a viable thing to do without raising tons of money. And then even the very large consumer companies right now, such as Snapchat, is still not profitable. I had never particularly planned on building Todoi as the main thing. However, it is uniquely positioned to be monetizable due to the productivity side of it. So the goal is to get it to be minimum level self-sustaining, like it pays for itself, which would not be that much of a <laughs> yeah monthly cost. And then I would love to just build out more products. I'm now very open-minded to consumer social and using my TikTok to continue to push traffic into the products. Because if I hear you correctly, you're a, f- a full-time creator now. Is mm-hmm. that accurate? Yeah. So I've been doing the consulting for about a year after I quit my full-time job, which was one year ago. And I actually took a break from the consulting six weeks ago just because I was like, this has never happened to me before with anything I post going viral. So I want to give this a real shot and do it full-time. Yeah. So that's what I mean then. And I don't want to be invasive. So if Mm -hmm. there's anything I ask that you're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with, just Take the fifth. Of course. How will you sustain yourself if you're not bringing in the money from the consulting? Does to do we cost something? Do you plan on? Yeah. If you're comfortable with me, yeah, of course. So I had wanted to be someone building my own business for quite a while, and quitting my full time job was a part of the step into that. So everything had been. I'm one of those obsessive planners. I plan my life out like five years, although. Never, it rarely goes to plan. But I had saved up enough money to have a runway that I'm comfortable with financially. And uh, to Dewey, I actually made a TikTok on this yesterday and it's gotten really big where I posted about what it actually costs to run the app over the last six weeks. And it's only cost 
about $290 a month. Yeah. So it's really small. And I think I, due to like my own engineering background, as well as having a lot of engineering friend resources, we've been able to build it in a way that does not cost a lot and there are good decisions made. So it's something that I think just, yeah, I can just enjoy actually yeah. building it and not stress about it financially. That's so cool. A question for you with mm-hmm. like the building of the studio and how fast you can kind of like grasp with the design and engineering skills. Would you want to partner with different creatives and engineers to like build stuff together? Because like you validated an amazing idea. Mm-hmm. What happens if someone comes to you and says, hey, Liz, I have an idea. Let's tag team on this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I envisioned for the studio where I would love to partner with someone who essentially has complementary skill sets to either me or someone else in the studio if there's multiple people at one point and they can bring together an idea to life that both parties are really passionate about. And I think I Like for me personally, I get this a lot with having a lot of engineer friends and most engineers are, they geek out about something, whether it be music or movies or cooking and they always have ideas to build something, but they either need to work with a product uh, partner or a marketing partner. And I would love the studio to have essentially or be a shared resource for very talented people to bring their ideas to life and to make it not just a cool idea, but an actual business. You know, something that I'm finding very inspiring about you as you're talking, even though you're a five-year-out planner, it feels like you're not in a good way, not taking things so seriously, and you're leaning into your curiosity and seeing where it takes you in a very responsible way, even with, oh, look, I've never had viral traction like this. Let me dive in now and explore that further. And Because I feel like a lot of people will be like, okay, I'm going to create the studio, and it has to launch like this and be like this and make this by this date and I have to do this and it's very serious and stressful. Yeah. I'm going to steal this term from the Yes Theory guys because they say it and I love it. It's like the difference of like following a map versus following your compass. Like a map, Mm. you're like, there's a very clear road and I know exactly where I need to go, turn left, turn right, turn blah, to get to the destination. Versus a compass, you're like, I'll figure it out. It's northwest at this degree. We'll get there. And I think what's beautiful is like you have a map on you, but you're letting your compass lead you, which I think is amazing and is the right method. Because with tech, things change so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. New tools are brought in. Mm -hmm. We talked already about AI earlier. Like all these things will happen and you don't know where it's going to take you, but you allow yourself to be open, which is beautiful. And for those of you who don't know, Yes Theory is a really inspiring, dynamic YouTube channel. Highly recommend. Now I'm curious, you're building out to Dewey, you had this idea, was it something you had always thought about? What brought you to the stage where you're like, okay, to Dewey's one, what's another one that you have coming out that you're thinking about? Are you going to throw it out on, or is it, are you going to give us a little too much? No, 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 I can, I can talk about it. So to Dewey first, I think of, I have this running five-year-old notes in my Apple notes where I just write down random ideas. Most of them don't mean anything really but once in a while there's something interesting like to Dewey but for my next venture which as to Dewey engineering wise matures more and more I don't have to work on it 
necessarily like that much. And it has a really good relationship with TikTok where Todoi gets me exposure on TikTok and then it's a happy cycle. But on my TikTok, I have thrown out three different ideas to see which one actually gets more traction. And I'm doing it the <laughs> this same. This is so cool. This <laughs> is great. how people great use Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I use the exact same model as Todoi, where it's just designs that I put together in Figma. Haven't written a single line of code for any of these ideas, and I always put in some type of question in the post so that the comments are very engaged. Yeah, I can tell you about my funniest idea out of the yeah, three. Yeah, please. <laughs> so it's called Riz Island. Oh my god. <laughs> And so Riz, short for charisma, it's a very <gasps> slang Stop. term on TikTok. Yeah. Love. <laughs> yeah. And the premise of Riz Island is you get on Riz Island and you can talk to AI characters and your chat with AI characters is public and anyone can see and watch your chats and they can rate your Riz talking up the AI character and you oh get gosh. rated out of uh, four points. And your public chats with the AI characters, along with your Riz score, is put onto your dating profile on Riz Island, and people can choose to message each other based on what they see. That's so wild. <laughs> can I tell you? I joined social, like a, a dating app last year for the first time ever. I had never been on dating apps. And the tech person in me was like, there's so many flaws on this thing. And this solves a good portion of it where you're like, oh, someone could have curated their profile or had someone help them with their profile. But you talking to AI and getting the score of your charisma, you can't fake. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really real, especially because you just can't fake it with the chats. I've been testing out just with the ChatGPT like, interface on OpenAI to see what it's actually like to chat up a AI character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really hard to be charismatic just because like I feel like as a as a girl, like you're not necessarily the one trying to really engage. At least for me when I was on dating apps in the past. And I was just like, if I am trying to really riz up this AI right now, <laughs> what would I say? <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> I I mean, I definitely, my route has been to be funny and it's just, it is interesting to, to think about like how the masses would rate you in terms of whether being funny or generally charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> Validating an idea with TikTok is, first of all, so cool. Yeah. I haven't heard it, I've heard it done a lot on Twitter, never on mm. TikTok. If someone has no followers, does it work? How does it work if you don't have a following on, on TikTok? Mm-hmm. So TikTok, the reason it is, has a completely different model from the other social medias, as I was saying earlier, is because it's the first uh, content platform that's not based on following, and it's based purely algorithmic content consumption. So when you're on Instagram or on YouTube, the feed is primarily people you're subscribed to yeah. or you follow. Whereas on TikTok, it's 90% people you don't follow, and this leads to very high chances of exposure. So example would be my second post uh, got 50,000 views and I got like 1,000 followers after my second That's post insane. on my second day. Yeah. And you would just never see that on Instagram, for example. Like people work on Instagrams for like a year and then yeah. maybe get like a few thousand followers. Yeah. 
so TikTok is really explosive, and I think that makes it definitely the most appealing to start out as someone who doesn't already have an audience. And that's actually what makes the creators there more interesting, in my opinion, because it's not the person who's been famous on Instagram for 10 years. It's actually just like brand new people who have never been famous before. What was the production like on that second TikTok? Did you put a lot of thought into it? Did you study TikTok for a long time to figure out what to do? Mm -hmm. So I definitely did a lot of research. I had struggled mentally, like mental framework wise on how to approach content creating for a long time, just because I think it's a level of vulnerableness that a lot of day-to-day people who don't try to be influencers are not familiar with. It's putting yourself on the internet and seeing whether you're popular or not. It feels like a popularity contest that you're signing up for, and it's kind of nerve-wracking. But what really helped me was I started thinking about it just as work. Mm. I was like, this is for my business, and I'm just doing tasks as I would do like week over week to reach some metric. And I followed many accounts that I aspired to be like in terms of what topic they were posting in, how they were providing value to their audience. And after a lot of research, I actually also validated through like a lot of Reddit research, found out that most people can get a lot of success in their first week if just done systematically and correctly. And that made me as an engineer feel a lot better about it because it turns out there is an equation with a little bit of volatility, but it's not the lottery like most people think it is. And yeah, I've just been following this recipe that's been working for me and it's been going great. (laughs) So cool. I love that. How many videos are you posting a week? Like, do you feel this like pressure to be consistently posting now that you know what the, the algorithm and the formula is? So I post four times a week now is where I've fallen to for sustainability. I was posting every day when I first started, and it definitely is a recommended part of growing your TikTok quickly. I don't find it that taxing to post four times a week as I think some people might think it is because... And this is something that I was also very strategic about in terms of finding a topic that I could post about that doesn't feel energy draining because I do essentially what would be the research about my TikTok topics as my, that's my job. I'm always in tech. I enjoy thinking about tech and hanging around all the tech bubbles of the internet, such as tech Twitter. So I'm very in tune and I realized this information that's already in my head is the value proposition to my audience, which is generally either students or early career people trying to get into tech. So it's very easy and it's actually topics that I really like talking about. And yeah, it's it hasn't been that bad at all. Your authenticity is awesome. Mm-hmm. So you feel right now with everything you're doing, you're not feeling depleted. You're feeling every single thing you're doing like is like a value add. Like you come out of it feeling like excited or nourished. <laughs> I think I'm certainly in a honeymoon phase with everything right now. I will say when I quit my job one year ago and I was doing the consulting, which was a little bit more means to the end where I, in the background, like at nights and weekends, was built, I was building my own ideas. It felt 
like I was in the Sahara Desert where there was no water in sight, water being mm-hmm. success. And I always use this term, I turn into a blob. I say like I just essentially melted into this little puddle because I couldn't figure out how to move forward with completely no structure in my life for the first time. I had always worked at a job before this. And I think after one year, I finally feel confident and comfortable in taking steps forward and even just knowing the direction to walk in. And while right now, I think it's funny because just with my little tiny bit of, I guess, TikTok and to-doy success, people are much more excited about the stuff I'm doing on Twitter and stuff like that. But it was just not like this at all right before. And it took a year to get to this point. I'm curious how you have the courage to leave your job when you are such a planner and enter into this freelancer and creative life. So earlier I was talking about explosively quitting jobs because I'm a little bit of a compulsive person. It was not that scary quitting a job to go to another job because as an engineer, especially at the time, just such high demand that the industry does teach you that once you're in the big tech engineer bubble or whatever, that there's always a very large cushion for you. And, you know, leaving jobs is actually a great way to move up in the ladder. Mm. But then the idea of quitting your job to do nothing, it felt like jumping into a void or jumping into a black hole. And you think, I have no idea what's on the other end of this. And it was really scary But And I think that's actually why I decided to do the consulting first instead of just really fully diving into doing my own thing full time is because it felt like a means to an end and maybe a nice transition period. And I had done consulting and freelance work since college. I had always done little hustles, I guess. In college, it was really a means to an end. I went to school in New York City where I couldn't afford to do anything. So I was just like, this is great pocket money. <laughs> yeah. And so I felt comfortable with consulting. I had been doing it for so long. And what was great was unlike when I was in college, I had a lot more experience now. And it was actually very lucrative. And I think it's a very viable business for people who enjoy it. And then for people who don't enjoy it, it's a little bit of a trap where you feel like, guilty not doing it because it can be successful immediately, unlike product businesses. How did you find your initial clients out of college? In college, it was very word of mouth. I was also charging something so silly, like $25 an hour that, Uh, (laughs) you know, people are like, they're like, sure, I'll try it. Yeah, Yeah. help me make a website, $25 an hour. (laughs) And then since then, everything has as crazy as it sounds, been completely organic, word of mouth. I was doing it for fun on the side while working full time. And when you do it for so few hours a week, you only need one client at a time. And to fulfill that requirement just doesn't take that much. If you work with a client and have a good relationship, those are pe- those are the people who know other people who need the same type mm. of services. Mm. So it's been pretty e- – that is like one of my most frequently asked questions about consulting side, but I would say that was never really a concern. I'm curious, you mentioned earlier about, you know, now you're a founder and you're like founding these companies and doing all these amazing things. You mentioned other like engineering friends and I'm assuming maybe founder friends. What does that community look like for you? Like – 
do you feel like you have that support system? Are you looking for that support mm -hmm. system? This is exciting because I think we can talk about LA for a second. So I started my tech career in LA, which is a bit more unique in that tech in LA is not as big as SF or New York necessarily. So what I've found is the tech community in LA is super tight and a lot of people know each other. Sometimes it's kind of ancestral in the fact that like everyone works at each other's companies at one point. I have a lot of friends who are like each other's managers a bunch, <laughs> which is hilarious. And I have gotten into this community, obviously at the start working at Snap, it feels like going to college again because you're on this campus with like thousands of other people. And it was a great way to just meet a lot of tech people in LA. And since my time at Snap, a lot of those people have dispersed. And with the market being the way it is, it's actually very interesting that for more experienced tech people, I've found the trend to be they are now starting their own companies. Mm -hmm. So I have now a lot of friends who are at the exact same point as me and the sense of just right at the genesis of their founder journey. And it's been really fun because I think there's a lot of importance in camaraderie and it's a really hard thing to do to try to start your own business, start your own company. And without having friends who are going through the same experiences, it yeah. can really drive you crazy and put you in isolation. That's no fun. Mm -hmm. Our mutual friend, how we met, also worked at Snap and then launched our own company, Yoni Circle. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I know about the, the startup, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends actually helped her with the MVP. So Akiva oh, again. Yeah. Oh, love you know, Akiva. You said it. Ancestral. Small. <laughs> yeah. LA Taxi. Everyone small. knows each other. Everyone knows everyone. <laughs> That's yeah. how we met. She That's was she was my salonier. I was. I yeah. Was. Uh, so cool. it, do you know, are you familiar with Yoni Circle? No, I never actually use it myself. You mm -hmm. want to describe it or what it was at least? It's a storytelling circle for women or people who identify as women and yeah, that's how we met. Yeah, it was so great. It yeah. was so great. And all super uncomfortable times during COVID mm -hmm. and having this group of phenomenal women that were just yeah. had these like loving energy. It was really revitalizing. And I think an important thing that we always forget is like having those conversations. Yeah. And it was women all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times – in tech and all these different industries that we do, we're busy doing the thing. We forget to like talk about how we're feeling yeah. while we're doing the thing. Yeah. So we see these like little measures of success, whatever that might look like. Oh, this thing, you had an exit or you had a sale, you have, you know, subscribers, whatever those levels yeah. are. And then we forget to talk about like, oh, how are you feeling about mm -hmm. getting to those benchmarks? Yeah. Did it feel like you were depleting yourself and you were working you know, till midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., you're lacking sleep, you're not yeah. hanging out with friends, you're not feeling nourished. We don't have enough of those conversations and we're just busy like, get to that next thing and do that next thing. So I'm glad you have that community around you and you have those people in your corner to kind of like vent to if you need to or yeah. celebrate with when you want to. I was going to say the celebrating your wins. I advised this company that had a win and I was like, you guys make sure to go out and celebrate. Have you gone out to eat with your families and mm -hmm. to like celebrate? And they're like, no, we're just, we need to X, Y, Z. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
you don't need to XYZ anything because soon it's going to be a year from now and it won't feel the same to celebrate anymore. One of the best choices I made, which is a really interesting moment. So We Are Tech has existed, well, now 11 years, but at the time it existed 10 years. And I, and actually when I re-ran into you at LA Tech Week 2022, it was just around the time of my 10 year anniversary. And I thought, possibly I'd have a 10 year anniversary and I, I wasn't really event and I wasn't really serious about it. I ran into you, I was sitting there and right after I spoke to her, I texted this venue. I was like, I'll take it. And I just like mm-hmm. went all in. And then I produced this event in under a week, four or five days or maybe less. It was a, a few hundred so people, people showed up, which was weird because I was like, I don't even know if 20 people will show up, let alone 10 people. I had someone contributing food, Moses, with Thirst and Growl app, and he kept asking me how many people should I expect. I'm like, Moses, I don't even know if there's going to be 20 people there. Like, literally, <laughs> he's like, I don't know, Esprit, I'm going to plan for a lot. You know a lot of people. I'm like, Moses, I'm telling you. And then, like, hundreds of people. It was crazy. The point of sharing it is I'm really grateful that I celebrated the milestone That was so important. Also, I wasn't well and present when I was there. I'm really grateful that I celebrated the milestone because there's so many, like when I raised money, I didn't really celebrate, you know, so many milestones I didn't celebrate. But like I wasn't, I wasn't there. I was running around, doing things, moving things, and everybody had an amazing time. So I felt, I feel like it was a win, but I didn't get to enjoy my own event. And so- yeah. Do you find yourself celebrating those moments? Like what is a practice or do you have a practice, whether weekly, monthly, to celebrate those things? So what you say about having – it's hard to enjoy the moment. I feel that so much. And I wonder if it's something with ambitious people live in the future more than they live in the present because whenever something happens in the present, I have already mentally moved on to the next thing, which is exists in the future. And when you only think about future events, it kind of just means you're never mentally present in the present. Mm. And what I like, this isn't super related, but like a part of this, a tiny thing I've been doing that's been helping with this is at the end of each day, I don't beat myself up for what I did that day or like how much I've accomplished that day. And instead, I just take it in stride. And that actually makes me feel a lot more grounded in the progress I'm making. And I don't put so much pressure on myself that I over plan for the future and over aim for metrics necessarily. And it makes me feel a lot more present and grounded. And I think a lot of the external pressures too, it just took me a while, especially during the one year of this past year I was talking about, where it was just really hard to find my footing. It's because you see everywhere that everyone else is doing what you're saying. On Twitter, you know, it's a a little bit of a bragging culture for sure. And when you see people like that on Twitter where you're just like, oh man, what I accomplished is not as cool as this person on Twitter. And then it makes you even less enjoy whatever the current moment is. But I think picking to do to work on and all this stuff has been definitely a part of my goal to really enjoy, like have a lot of fun Mm -hmm. is what I keep saying. When people ask me on my TikToks, 
what is the goal with to do or like what what are you trying to do with this? I always just say I'm trying to have as much fun as possible. <gasps> I love that. It's amazing. Yeah, because it's such a silly little app and I just I enjoy all the Gen Z kids who are using it, like talking to them, it feels like something I've never really done before. And that has made everything a lot more energizing. And I don't like mentally stress about the future. And that keeps me in the present. Do you think with the app, because you're so connected to the people using it Mm -hmm. and they're so connected to you, do you think that has a part to play in it? Because I think there's like a beauty in that. The feeling of being... This is kind of a strong word, but the feeling of being adored by just a thousand, a few thousand people is just something that most people don't experience. I've in the past heard of creators talk about this, where the early days of being a creator are kind of the best because that's before you have haters Mm -hmm. and people are judging you or they're saying like, well, like you are not doing anything interesting anymore and just really causing the creator burnout but I'm definitely in that early honeymoon phase right now where people, I'm objectively new and fresh to them. And people rarely, I guess, post about their founder journeys so openly on the internet that, you know, it's just like a very positive win-win relationship I have with my audience. That's amazing. What a beautiful thing to be able to like create and know who you're creating for. I have always actually wondered why more creators don't, leverage their audience to it doesn't have to be necessarily like building an app but just create something that they want and use that as the platform to connect with your audience on there's obviously many examples of influencers making like makeup brands and I think things that are a bit more like commercial or very monetary goods driven but it has been interesting to me that there's a small overlap in influencers and then the people who make products for the masses Mm. yeah you know what's interesting 100% right like people do it with like oh a cookbook my my audience wants me to make a cookbook because I'm a cooking creator and now I'm going to create a cookbook but I see it too with TikTok in those like the filters someone will talk about something like oh this would be a fun filter and someone's like I'll make it and then they make it and then people use it and they love it or they're like oh that would be an interesting sound can you make it into a sound and they're like sure and they make it into a sound and people use it right away like that feedback loop is so beautiful cuz someone tells you they want it you make it for them they use it and love it someone else says something and you just keep like creating and there's like a fun loop but i don't think a lot of founders or tech people have utilized it like you have which is so smart mhm I had thought about this for a while with TikTok. And I, as especially as earlier I was saying, a lot of my engineer friends are starting their own startups and businesses. We talk about TikTok a lot. And what's interesting is most engineers, especially like my friends who the average demographic is probably about 35 years old, they talk about it as if it's a very mysterious locked box. And it makes sense because... I don't know the like specific data, but I believe the average age of TikTok is probably early 20s. So there is not a big overlap in entrepreneurs or founders and then the people who are very active on TikTok. But that really makes it a goldmine because there aren't that many people on TikTok trying to sell you things. And it's very hard to 
sell like be selling something and not seem like some suspicious figure and your video doesn't do well. And that's part of why people enjoy TikTok so much because Instagram has very much become just a never-ending feed of ads. You know, it's either literally an ad or it's an ad in disguise. And it's much more, it's much harder to do that with videos, I guess, or at least people haven't figured out how to mass produce them. So yeah, it's a bit of a goldmine. And I always advocate to people, if you're trying to get in front of people and bring them what you have created, you should definitely use TikTok. <laughs> I really love that. And I think also something that you said about the whole selling stuff, I think the beauty of what you're doing to a different level is you're solving things for people, mm. which everyone loves that's a, someone who's solving something for it. them. And you're solving mm-hmm. things for people. Like you're not just making it being like, do this. You're like, what do you guys want? And they tell you and you're like, great, I'll do yeah. it for you. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. I think that's why they adore you because they're like, she did this for us, you know, in a week. I call it co-creating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We have so many listeners with the podcast. If you had one ask, something that we could all do to come together to help you elevate your dreams, what would that ask be? Okay. It's L.A. specific. I would love more in-person communities in L.A. for tech. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to do that right now. (laughs) It has been doing that. So I lived in New York City before L.A., which when I first moved to L.A., I was so confused. And I almost felt scammed because I was told I was moving to a large city. And then I got to the west side and I looked around and I thought, this looks like a suburb. Why is everything so far apart? There are no tall buildings. You have to drive everywhere. And it's the opposite of Manhattan, yeah, uh, where everything is incredibly dense to the point where it just piled up on top of each other. My whole time in LA been a difficult adjustment is it is so hard to meet people because everyone is so spread apart. And not only is LA not dense, tech is even less dense. So it's It's taken a long time for me to build a network I do have, but even when you do have a network of friends and just people you enjoy talking to in terms of, like, your career and your journey, it's it's still very hard to meet new people. Mm. I would say my rate of meeting new people is, A, unpredictable and, like, probably, like, a couple people a month at most. And I would love for a way to just connect with people a little bit easier in L.A. and just be able to hang out and, like, share energy and vibe. So I have – I love that. I have two recommendations, and then I have a FYI. The two recommendations are Shannon McCarty does this SoCal Tech Monthly or something. It's a happy hour at Michael's in Santa Monica. I just went last night. It's great. Really amazing people. And then Scott Howard, that's his last Mm. name. Scott Howard has an event called Combinations in Venice, which is a mixer of a bunch of tech companies. And he does that probably once a quarter or something. And so I recommend those two highly. I love that. They're both on the west side. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll I'll get information from you because I want to go. 100%. (laughs) Something I don't market well, which is actually really useful, is if you go to wearelatech.com slash calendar, I believe, my team puts together every single LA Tech community organizer's event. So not We Are LA Tech events, just 
on a Google Calendar, and you could just add the plus, the Google plus on the calendar to your own calendar. So you could have every single event. We look them up constantly. So you could just have your We Are LA Tech calendar there. But again, it's a little confusing because they're not We Are LA Tech events. We just put together. So there's that resource. And last but not least, we have the We Are LA Tech Experience Club. And the reason why I hesitate a little bit, and I definitely don't want to hijack your interview, but it's pertinent to the question, is... I've been doing the Experience Club for years. I'm very proud of it. To to make it short, I take it's where LA startups and people working in tech get together. We go. I take them skydiving, clay pigeon shooting, escape rooms, wine and and paint nights. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's I'm really proud of it. I've done it over 400 experiences. I've had to raise the prices in order for me to be okay too, and it's freaking me out because. There's people like you in the world. I have no idea, and, and this is not why I'm asking what like your financial situation is, right? But I could tell I like you, and I would want you to be in it no matter what your financial situation is, right? And I am so afraid that raising the prices so that I'm okay too will alienate the people like you that I like that are awesome, high-value people. I don't want to have an economic barrier, but I need to be okay. And so here I'm creating this phenomenal thing to bring the community together in all different um, geographic regions of Los Angeles. I have to have this economic right. filter. That's what experiences and events are, you know, and you can build it out in so many different ways. Like you can have some events that maybe have a higher price ticket and price point, but you can have other events too. Well, my thing is a membership. Like people right. pay a recurring membership. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, there you can was also have companies like sponsor someone or, you know, cover someone else's I thing. guess. Yeah. But that's what like breaks my heart. It's like this cool thing. I want all the Liz's in the world, no matter what, like economic like yeah. standing, to be able to access this amazing thing that I'm really proud of. And so it, that's been top of mind for me. And that's actually why I didn't even say it first, because I'm like, oh, Shannon's thing is just 10 bucks. That's easy. Scott's thing is free. And then my thing like costs solid money because it cost me so much to put on all these things. So that's why I even said it last because I'm like, it has the most block to it. Right. And it's not a block to exclude anyone. It's a block so that I can keep my sanity yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and pay for the thing. So anyway, to find out more details for you and everybody listening, it's wearelatech.club so you can see what it's about. But do you plan on pricing to Dewey? Like, do you have those kinds of fears related to to your product because it seems like you come from the same place I do where you really just want to elevate others so how do you think about pricing mm -hmm. I was about to say I feel like my dilemma with monetizing to do is you just basically said my mental dilemma around it I there's a part of me the emotional side of me that loves the community I'm building for and I would love for to do to be free I wish it cost me nothing to build, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Like you're saying, it costs you to host this. And I have decided to approach it just very systematically, again, um, just in the like data-driven experimentation way, where I will put it out at a price that I am guessing is fair, the price thing being a monthly subscription to unlock basically pro user, more useful and cool features. 
that mostly relate to your productivity, that would make the app a bit more useful. And from there, I think my community that I'm with, they're very open with me. They think of me as an actual friend at this point. So they will tell me if they don't like something, if they think something is unfair. And I just plan on talking to them about it. And it's kind of like all businesses. Like even when I was pricing my consulting gig, I had no idea what to price myself. Yeah. And I just adjusted the prices based on the reaction and feedback I got. And it's honestly, if you have the flexibility to do so, to also charge different scenarios, different prices, like you were saying, is a very viable way to kind of just have flexible pricing that makes more sense. Yeah. Because you could also price, you know, access to all experiences at a different level. And then you can have tiers, access to the light experiences, yeah. whether it's like a paint night or a beach thing. Like a hike or something, yeah. Yeah, where you're like, I don't have to put too much into it. And it can have more access with more people. And now you have like different levels. Where yeah. Everyone who still comes gets to connect and bond. But for those higher price point experiences, only certain you know, yeah. membership class get access to it. And there's so much more I could share. I'm not going to because I want to make sure this stays focused on Liz. But there's certain really interesting things. So I've been running the Experience Club since 2015. So a lot of the members asked me to make it more expensive because they said money in itself is a filtering process. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many little tidbits. That's uh, an entire different episode. Yeah. Pricing's a funny thing. At the end of the day, it sounds like all of us here just want to build a product that we're very proud of, mm -hmm. that serves others. Yeah. Yeah, there's that level And make of it like, accessible. Yeah, accessibility, inclusivity is so important. But then there's that point where you're like, okay, who's going to take it to that next level? Yeah. You have to sustain yourself. You want to do yeah, this. Yeah, that's you what I was going to say. We deserve, we as in yes. all three of us, we deserve to value our own time too. Yeah. These things don't just come to be like a genie in a bottle. We're sitting there building, typing all the things, spending our time and energy. And I, I think good heart-driven people, sometimes we take ourselves out of the equation um, to be valued financially. I always say this statement to this like greater audience customer base, whatever, membership base, is it better that the thing exists or is it better that it's free? Because if it's free, it probably won't exist. You know, you're going to have a lot of bugs. You're going to have a lot of issues. You're going to – eventually the company's going to fold, like whatever it is. Like if, if you don't have the money backing to go behind it, it's not going to sustain forever. Yeah. And it's not going to be at the level That's of true. like innovation and amazingness and wonderful all the things – so if you love this thing, put your money behind it. Yeah. If you want it for free, there'll be a million things that you can get for free. And but it's not going to be what you need. Yeah. And part of the, I guess, potential conflict, and I'm hoping it's not, I'm hoping your audience is really open-hearted with you, but no, not, but sorry. And sometimes I found that when you, I, when I have a free audience, they are coming at it from a certain perspective of, I want everything for free. I expect it for free. I've positioned essentially my brand as free. And so mm -hmm. if I do anything other than that, it's jolting. Same as if I'm a low-cost product. If I do any – if I become high-cost, it's like, you're robbing me. Mm -hmm. 
But then the people who start out high cost, they're luxury items like uh, what is it, Louis Vuitton, all right. this kind of stuff. So I do a lot of customer discovery calls and as I ask people different things, it's interesting to me the perspective they're approaching they're buying decisions with and in like what tier they're valuing it. Are they comparing my stuff to a gym membership? And it, what kind of gym? Are they comparing to LA Fitness or Equinox? There's just so much that comes to yeah. price perception. Money, I feel like talking about money is so tricky. I think a lot yeah. of people feel either unsure or nervous to talk about it. And I I think the lack of transparency really kind of creates a lack of information mm. to make good decisions around it. And what I am experimenting with myself and have done a little bit of research on to inspire it is uh, creating a story, like a cohesive story that's true and it makes sense and is potentially educational is actually putting some amount of faith in your audience and your community to be able to understand the situation. So one of my favorite apps is a just money tracking app, yeah. like budgeting money tracking app. They charge $10 a month to use it, they, and they have no free tier. Rocket money? Oh, no. no it's it's not rocket money yeah. because uh, they have yeah. free tier. Copilot? Uh, Copilot. I love Copilot. Yeah. yeah. So they, I, I believe, let you try the app a few months free or something, but they don't have a free tier. And when you um, are on this part of the UI, they're actually very informational about it. They say the reason we charge money is because we never plan on using ads mm -hmm. and or selling your data. And this is the, the sole monetization source for the company. And when you see it so transparently spoken like that, which mm -hmm. is rarely on a pricing page for any other product, you're like, okay, I understand that it takes money to like run the companies and I really enjoy it, so I'm going to pay $10. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, without that information, you know, you start to wonder like, are they trying to cheat me on my money? Is this like way too expensive? What about all these other apps that are free? Uh, you know, you just start to get in your head as the consumer. And even for Todoi, I was initially very nervous to talk about money and I've started to experiment just being more transparent. So one example is a part of Todoi is that all of your pictures delete after 30 days. And it's kind of unique for a social media to do that. Imagine if your Instagram deleted your pictures every yeah. month. It's kind of a weird experience. And the users were asking, why is it like that? I want my pictures to stay forever because I really like seeing pictures of things I've done. Yeah. And the complete simple and honest reason I put that in is because hosting pictures is the most expensive part of having an app yeah. because it's a lot of data to store and I just did that because I was nervous when I first started building to do how much the monthly um, backend cost would be and I had been very opaque about that reasoning until Basically, a few days ago in my Discord, someone brought it up again. They're like, I really wish I had a way to like save my pictures. And I told them, I never like explained this, but the reason they delete is because this part of running the app is very expensive. So I plan on, until I have a good financial strategy around the app, um, they will be deleting every 30 days. And it was actually like all the users that came together and said, 
Well, I think you should just offer a paid mm-hmm. version of the app for the people who really want to save their pictures. And I'm sure that like the people who want to will pay and then the people who don't won't and it'll be it'll feel fair is yeah. what they said. And I was just so surprised that they like that. came to that conclusion themselves. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love how you handle community. Yeah, but like transparency is so yeah. important. Like don't BS people. Be honest with them. Just tell them how it is. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know that Apple takes 30% when mm-hmm. you have an app developed on their app store. And I think that's important to tell them like, oh, they're not pricing it at $10 to be like, like you said, like assholes or they're not trying to be, you know, unfair. They're literally like, oh, we're putting it up for 10 Apple takes 30 We take this percentage and we still have all these other costs that we need to yeah. pay for. I mean, even, even Elon Musk was like, leave your I Apple know. subscription and get it through the website. We'll give it to you through cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's the beautiful thing of being transparent and open and building in, in public and building for community and sharing. So I'm glad that you shared that. What is a piece of advice you've gotten in your career that has really helped propel you forward? The thing that has really defined my career is the amazing mentors I've met. And I actually feel that these mentors are the reason I've actually been able to move faster in a lot of scenarios and grow faster. So what I always tell other people when they give ask for advice for early career is even though engineering or tech can feel like a solo career because it's just you and your computer a lot of the time, really be mindful about the people you spend time with and seek out the people that you want to learn from and be more like. Be more, be more like. Be more like, like them. <laughs> oh, be more like them. I, I was like waiting for the end of the <laughs> sentence. Be, oh, I, I get what you're saying <laughs> And how did you reach out to the mentors? A lot of, again, a lot of organic. I feel that an advantage in tech that no one talks about, you know, there's a lot of conversation about what it means to be a minority in tech, a woman in tech. But the thing that I think about a lot is what it feels like to be an introvert versus extrovert in tech because it's (laughs) predominantly introverted people in tech. And as someone that is certainly more extroverted than the average, I have found that to be a very big advantage in my career. And it has also motivated me to work on being more social because it's not necessarily my default. But just being outgoing and willing to spend time with people leads to meeting more people and, you know, just liking to connect with each other and having great conversations like this lead to actual relationships to form. I really feel like just putting yourself out there as cliche and easier said than done would be the best way, in my opinion. (laughs) And what is a huge obstacle you've successfully overcome? And then how did you overcome it in your career? I can talk about a kind of recent one. So I have both a design and engineering background. And I have been told by so many people that I can't do both. And it just felt very weird because people rarely to your face, especially in a like work environment, professional environment, tell you you can't do something. And it just felt this is not right is instinctively how I felt. And as an incredibly stubborn person, I continue to resist, but I felt so lost due to the fact that 
as someone who, you know, really likes mentors and just taking inspiration from others, I realized there are very few people out there that do both Mm. that I couldn't look at someone and think, oh, that's what my career would look like in 10 years just because I didn't know these people. And I feel that now finally having escaped big tech bubble and just becoming more open and like joining different communities and stuff, I have started to meet people who are truly like generalist or doing multiple non-conventional practices. And that has finally made me feel comfortable with what I do or like what path I want to walk down just in terms of my personal career growth. A podcast or a YouTube channel or a book that is a must watch or must read, must listen. A book I recently read, and it's so random, but I don't read that much biographies. And I read the Steve Jobs biography, and I would really recommend it for people who are younger in tech because as someone where I became conscious and then there were already computers, you realize you don't, or at least me personally, didn't know that much about the history of computers and how the industry was born. And Mm. it's actually really recent. It was just a few decades before I was born. But really learning about tech through the eyes of someone so iconic, but also very flawed and very interesting, has been one of the most interesting history lessons I've had as it relates to tech, because it's you're so immersed in it that you don't realize oh, the reason that every design has rounded corners today is because Steve Jobs is obsessed with rounded corners. That's literally where that design concept comes from. And yeah, it's just been a really fun read. That's crazy. You study typography. It's wild. Your favorite app? Other than Todoe and Riz, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Let me think. Okay, It could be app, website. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, one of my faves is Calendly. Oh, Calendly. How do you live without it? You know, this whole debate about it being rude to send someone a, ca- a scheduling link, I'm like, no, it's annoying when I don't have a scheduling link. It just makes my life easier. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say a controversial take. Oh. So I'm very new to Twitter, and I think you noticed that by my profile and I didn't understand Twitter for the longest time, although now it's called X. Yeah. I didn't understand Twitter for the longest time. I didn't understand why people liked it. But after a year of being very confused on the app, I feel like I finally understand why people like it. And it's because finding community and I guess talking to feeling more connected to people, it's so much easier to do on Twitter maybe because the circles are a bit smaller and you know you can you can reply under tweets from a pretty big account and oftentimes they'll talk back at you whereas you don't get that if you like comment under a Instagram famous person so maybe because i'm coming at it with fresh eyes but i've been really enjoying twitter definitely follow the hashtag long la Mm. and Tech LA to find the LA Tech community on Twitter, Mm. specifically Long LA. Okay. Yeah. And if you ever need a little tutorial on how to use Twitter to find conversations, I'm Mm. happy to show you because there's a way to find community. Yeah, it's really easy and you can find everybody in Los Angeles. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of community, you said you wanted more community in LA. Where can people connect with you? 
Yeah, so you can find me on TikTok. My username is Engineer Girlfriend or Twitter. My username is Eng Girlfriend. Thank you so much for being on the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember, go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Hi, I'm Liz Ha. I'm building a social productivity app called Todoi. Todoi is a social productivity app where you make to-do items and you can take a picture to mark it as complete and you can follow your friends and see them being productive and get motivated. I'm based in Venice, California. You're listening to Women in Tech. Hey everyone, this is Sara Magesha from Creator Now, head of community. Creator Now is a learning platform and community made by creators for creators. Based in Santa Monica, California, and you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.